You have questions? We have answers. We're two Southern moms on the backside of raising kids. And we have some things to say. We've lived life, made mistakes, and learned some lessons. Join us for answers to the questions you, you just, just want to ask your mom. mom. Welcome to another Just Ask Your Mom podcast. I'm Bonnie Blaylock. And I'm Renee Sproles. Well, home. What does that word conjure in your imagination or your memory? Do you imagine the posters on your bedroom wall as a teenager? Like for me, it was Duran Duran. Or the creek in the hall stairs as you crept down on Christmas mornings. Maybe it's the smell of cut grass on Saturdays in the summer. Or that one tree in your yard that you love to climb. Mm. There were three trees in our front yard that were the basis for kickball. Little oh, little twiggy, kickball. yeah, little twiggy trees. And then um, I don't know how they didn't die because we'd grab them and swing around, you know, when we'd run to the base. And they're giving trees, and now they're big. They're so big, and my kids would climb and play in them at my parents' house. Ah, I love that. That's cool. So, is home a place or a feeling? Well, maybe it's some of both. I would say I hope it's some of both. Having raised my kids in four, five different houses. Mm -hmm. um, we were just talking the other day with some friends about whether we could remember our home phone number from when we were kids. Of course, like that's still my parents' number. Right. I, I mean, know. It I remember change. it. Yeah. So back when each house had only one phone number and the phone hung on the wall in a central place, by the way. Yeah. Remember those days? Oh, I remember when the extended phone cords came out. They like created like a 20 foot one, and a 30 foot one. You could walk through the den. Yes. <laughs> Knocking over everything along your way. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll just, we'll agree. It's partly about the setting and partly about the memories and the feelings that were created there and the smells. Oh, yes. Definitely smells. Definitely the smells. Smell. Mm -hmm. Well, the house we grew up in occupies some sacred ground in our hearts. And that's true even if your home wasn't particularly happy or if you experienced a lot of conflict there. It just takes up space because it's the place where relationships develop. And where some of our biggest life events happen, especially as young kids. Yes, and as grown-ups, it's where we define ourselves. We use our homes to distinguish ourselves from others. Do you remember your first apartment when you left home? Yes. <laughs> it was like a criminal zone. I can't believe I was allowed to live there. I know. Uh, me too. Us too. Like it, it, the dark paneled walls and the industrial brown car. It was a brown box, basically. Oh, yeah. We had what we called murder stains in the hallway and you didn't touch the elevator walls. It was you know. when you'd throw the light switch on the cockroaches would yeah. scatter. Uh, yeah. So what about your first place as a newlywed? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I have really great memories of that. Yeah. It was little. Yeah. But we didn't care with well, all the hand-me-down furniture and stuff we'd inherited. The little galley kitchen. I can still see, see myself standing in there. Yeah. Yeah, that was super fun. Sweet memories. We wanted to make it our own, even with the hand-me-downs and the stuff at yard sales. As a matter of fact, I that carried on for a lot of years with us. I realized that other people's bumped and bruised mm -hmm. furniture, I, I, I didn't freak out about our bumps and bruises and scratches because it already had a few. Right. And I hadn't spent hundreds of dollars. So, yeah, you're just kind of discovering your style. Fun wall hangings or plants or no plants. No plants for me, Bonnie. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Neutral or bright colors, a favorite chair. It's just fun to nest. Yeah. To make, make your place your own, make your space. Well, Jennifer Roback Morse in her book, Love and Economics, says, Our home becomes an external reality 
that reflects our inner subjective lived experience. So I don't know if you've ever watched the Hoarders show. I had a thing with that for a while. I it just made me feel so good by the end when it was all cleaned up. But always in that show, the inner state of their home reflected their own mental uh, reality. Yeah, their space. Yeah, they're their... usually recovering from some kind of loss or something that they can't really get over or trauma. And so their homes reflect that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So we would love it if every one of you listening, um, when you thought back to your own home, it brought to mind memories of love and contentment and warmth and security. But of course, we know that's not the case. But there are some things we can practice, some elements of what makes a home that we can tease apart and maybe change if it's not what we'd like it to be. That's the great thing about being a grown-up, Bonnie. Yeah, you can change it. You can change it. Mm -hmm. You now have the power to change. Baby steps. Yeah. Right. So welcome to the first of what we're calling our home series on Just Ask Your Mom. I'm excited about this one. I think there's tons to cover. Yeah, we don't even know how many episodes. We're, we've got a, a brainstorm list going, and it's several episodes long mm -hmm. already. Just, I don't know how we, you and I have stumbled onto this topic, but... I was thinking back once we started talking about it, about my home economics class in high school. Mm -hmm. And then I had a couple in college. And I, I don't even know if those exist anymore. I should have done my research I ahead of time. I think they do. There's not very many still left in the United States. And they're renamed. They're called family consumer something or other. Um, they renamed them. But yeah. I had one. And I made one tank top with my mom's help. <laughs> and that's all I remember from that class. I remember a lot of things. I it, I loved it. Um, we we did all kinds of recipes and so yeah, sewing mm -hmm. and I don't. We didn't do really any finances, which I think is just critical. I know that's a huge part of running a home. Yeah, to to have that in there. And I just I know that again and again and again, my dad always said about my mom like he was. They were a team, and she was his partner in business, and and they he was her partner in the home, mm -hmm. which we'll get to a little bit later, but they just, they both divided and conquered in their own 1960s way. Right. And that was a great example to me. And I took what I loved and changed what I didn't. And David and I did our own thing. Right. Well, I think every family kind of has to. Well, I think you, you, you should, but I, I think a lot of us don't get curious about why we're doing what we're doing. Right. We cut the pot roast in half because that's what our mom did. Cause but we don't realize that was just cause her crock pot was small. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so there is a, there is an element of just going to default mode. And, and so yeah, just reflecting on, Hey, what do I want to take? Yeah. Cause I think even, even the worst experiences of home, there's probably one or two things you could, you could take or, or you could go, Okay, well, here's clearly what I don't want to do. Now yes. I know clearly what I do. What do you do? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, um, absolutely, we are fans of history, and we read quite a bit of historical fiction and nonfiction. And well, part of what draws you to this genre, where you write in this genre now, you're an author. I do a little bit, <laughs> a little bit. Um, is I love to imagine what it must have been like. We've talked about this at our book clubs before. You know, when people back when. Before Wayfair and Home Depot, like Little House on the Prairie, um, where you had to build your own home log by log and, yeah. you know, grind your grain to, if you're going to have any bread that day and carry water from the spring and churn and care for your livestock. It was work. It was work 
from sunup to sundown. Yes. Toil. Labor. <laughs> to make a home. Yeah. Yeah. Like to literally feed yourselves and your children and make it to the next day. It was, it was tough. And so the, the beauty that you would bring to that kind of a space would be more of just a simple beauty. You know, the flowers from the meadow or the rug, the rag rug oh, that yeah. you spent hours by the fire, you know, yeah. creating at Making night. Making at night. Yep. So today, all over the world, and well, between you and me, we've traveled quite a bit. We were just trying to think. We've been to India, South America, Africa, the Middle East, Europe. We've hit almost all the continents except Antarctica. Yep. No igloos. <laughs> Um, and a roof over your head and a guarantee of daily bread are not a given. We do get that. But in this series, since our U.S. experience is what we know, that's what we're going to focus on. Although, I, you know, I do love to look at other cultures. Oh, and yeah. See, it is interesting. What makes a home? Yeah, what the, makes a home? The elements. Which, episode idea. I know. There you go. Okay, there we go. Another one. <laughs> so, well, in the U.S., the National Association of Real Estate Boards adopted the term realtor in 1916. I think before that, you just had giant swaths of land, like the Lord and Surf model, you know, where mm -hmm. you just bought stuff outright, but not everybody could do that. Uh, it wasn't until in the U.S. the housing market started booming in the 40s and 50s, so did the real estate profession. So by 1950, for the first time in our history, more than half of Americans owned their homes. And if you're a middle-class American and a homeowner, chances are that's where about two-thirds of your wealth is, in your home equity. It's long been an effective way for Americans to improve our financial standing and build a stable future. Unless, maybe if you are a black American, that has been somewhat more complicated than that. If you know anything about the practice of redlining, it was a regular thing in banking for decades where they just didn't loan to somebody in an area of poor financial risk. So historically, you could have gotten just caught up in this is where we live, so we don't get the loan and we don't get our, our leg up. So this series isn't actually really about owning a home or growing your wealth. Uh, whether you rent, uh, live in public housing, or live like a nomad and work remotely in a series of locations, the core elements of a happy home remain the same. So we're not just talking about the concept of shelter here. Shelter is a basic human need, whether it's a primitive cave or a pitched tent in the desert or a carved space high off a cliff wall. Ooh, those are so cool to go see. That's we just saw them last year in yeah. New Mexico. It's fascinating to me. Uh, drop bear grills in the wilderness, and it's one of the first things he tries to find, a dry spot to huddle for the night. Yeah, so what, okay, what's home for then? Is that it? Just a place to lay your head at the end of the day and where you're going to know the Wi-Fi password? That's home. Well, yeah, you know, I love that question that before you know if something is working, you need to know what it's for. So if we look back in time to the beginning of home, we don't see a colonial brick, two-story, three-bedroom, two-bath house on a quiet cul-de-sac. There's no home in the architectural sense at all in the book of Genesis. Home for the first people on earth was the whole open world and, more particularly, a garden. Isn't that interesting? Mm. How it's evolved. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why did we do that? Well, I think maybe it's because there in the garden their needs were met. They rested, they explored, they played, they were creative. They communed with God there and they grew to know one another. They were secure and safe. Absolutely. And in the ancient world, only kings lived in gardens. So the original home for humanity was a shared palace, an oasis, a place of safety, security, comfort, and empowerment, a place to go out from that home and fill the world and bring order to it, as we see in Genesis 1, 27 right. and 28. Yeah. And they also had lots of pets. They did. All those animals. 
And very little laundry to do. <laughs> Actually, they were naked. None. <laughs> <laughs> then the fall, creation breaks, boundaries are blurred. We're outside the garden. We're homeless in a sense. And now we have to work to meet our basic needs. We have to measure our rest. Children comes and the number of relationships we must navigate multiplies. God sometimes seems far or less obviously present, and we have to remember to remember him. And now there's laundry. Because <laughs> we're wearing clothing. <laughs> <laughs> so, because we have a merciful father whose heart always longs to bring us back to relationship, I wonder if this huge sense of home in our psyches has something to do with this. Yes. Mm. I mean, I wonder, and, I, and I've said the answer is yes. Mm. Uh, it's our way of getting back to what we know in our hearts was what was meant to be. So we fashion those cabins or tents or a niche inside a cave and try to make for ourselves a likeness that pulls at something inside of us. Yeah. This is, so this, I think, is where we're going to bounce off in the series. Yeah. And see, okay, what is home for? Mm-hmm. What's its purpose? So we need a place to take off of our, our masks and be ourselves, a place to rest, a place of refuge and safety. Mm-hmm. We also need a place to foster our creativity. You see that even in those caves, the scratching on oh, the wall and all the decorations. Yeah. And a place where we can make um, beautiful things in some way uniquely ours. We need a place where relationships, the most important ones, can flourish and where love is given and received. And we need a place that mirrors our eternal home to remind us of our purpose. Those are just some of the things yeah. that we need um, when we're talking about homemaking. So, a couple of additional thoughts about the worldview of the home. When the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy a couple of letters of instruction for how to teach, lead, and build a healthy church, he writes to both men and women about homemaking. Um, it's kind of a little throwaway verse if, you, if you're not really paying attention. According to Paul in 1 Timothy 3, 5, um, Managing a, his household or homemaking is a critical quality of every church elder. Mm-hmm. So that one of the things you're looking for is someone who can manage his home well. And lest you think he's being misogynistic and leaving out women, no. Two chapters later, um, when he's talking about widows in First Timothy 5.14, he writes, I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Hmm. So I've spent a lot of time studying this yes, <laughs> over you the have. last few years. So um, I, I dug into that phrase, manage their homes, because a lot of women I know don't like that. Like he's just saying, stay home, have babies, manage your home. Right. And it's, it's actually a lot more rich than that. Oh, um, we so need to flip the script on that one. Yeah, which by the way is a beautiful calling, but I, I get where they're saying. Absolutely. I get what the impulse that they're feeling because I felt it myself. So some, some versions translate it, uh, manage their homes. Some versions translate it keep house or guide the house. But the word, if you actually look at the word, it is uh, a two part word. Um, the first part of the word, oikos, means house. And the second part of the word is despotes, which sounds very similar to the word you know in English, mm-hmm. despot. So despot means lord or master, if, even though it's kind of implies tyranny in the English language it was really um, meant to be more like a lord or a master so we see this word um, despotes in lots of other places in scripture Simeon when he meets the infant Jesus declared sovereign lord as you have promised now dismiss your servant in peace same word in first Timothy 5 for women to manage their home yeah 
when Peter and John were released from prison, the believers praised God in prayer. Sovereign Lord, again, that word, you made the heavens and the earth. Mm -hmm. So twice now we're talking about Jesus and God with that word. Um, In the letter we're now considering, Paul says, 1 Timothy, all who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect. Those who have believing masters should not show show them disrespect. So again, now we've got the actual word master translated there. Right. And then there's a whole series, 2 Timothy 2.20, 1 Peter 2.18, Jude 4, Revelation 6.10, also using that word Lord and Master. As a matter of fact, it's pretty much not translated manager anywhere else. And isn't that interesting? Yeah. And we, where did we come to that <laughs> yeah. notion that, you know, this condescending pat, 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 the, yeah. little, the little wife at home? Yeah. It is not that at all. No, no. It's an empowering word. Paul names the wife as the master of the home, not the servant, not the manager. He calls her the master. So when we look at the Bible as a cohesive, coherent whole, I see Paul's description going hand in hand with Proverbs 31. Some of the best marriages I know, the healthiest marriages I know, function where the wife is the master of the home and the husband is the loving head of his wife, which is a whole nother can of worms we could get into later. But these are the words the Bible uses. And I, we lose a lot when we just don't dig in or we just say, I don't like it, which I did. I did it. I did that for years. A husband who is a good partner, a good head to his wife, listens to her intuition and wisdom and she respects his viewpoint. Right. That's balanced. Yes. And, you know, do you know many women who like Proverbs 31? I mean, again, I was one, I was like, ugh. It sounds like a lot of work. So many things. (laughs) So much stuff going on there. Yes. But there we see this woman who is the master of her home, a strong helper who Mm -hmm. can run the household, run a business, care for her family and others in the community. And it turns that phrase that we all know, behind every successful man, there's a woman on its head because this woman has a husband who has full confidence in her who gets respect at the city gate and in his community and business because of her Mm -hmm. and who praises her. She's clothed with strength and dignity. Mm -hmm. I've been pondering that this week. Like, like that is the truth. Like we are clothed with strength and dignity in Christ. And so I think honestly, (laughs) scripture doesn't just lay this out for us, which for me, it's true. If scripture says that it's true and if I don't like it, there's something wrong with me. I need to look inside me and go, why am I, Why am I pushing against this so much? But there's also even more information in creation. I think our bodies represent this reality of Mm. home. The Catholic Church, Bonnie, has a lot of excellent teaching on this. I agree. In America, we've come to believe that our physical bodies are subordinate to how we imagine ourselves. We want to do any what with our bodies without giving heed to the why of our design. So, especially as women, we can come to believe that our bodies hinder our flourishing. And we can even believe that our bodies lie to us. But a Christian view of nature sees our sexuality, male or female, not as a hindrance, but as a clue to God's design and purpose for us in the world that he made. And one of the coolest, most powerful ways that we rock it, ladies, (laughs) is being uh, the ability to carry and birth a child. Yeah, yeah. Nobody else can do that. I don't care what they say. Yeah. No amount of gender transitioning allows a man to do that. What is God telling us in this design of taking a man and a woman to make a baby? And that baby is actually implanted in our uterus and grows there. Our bodies are literally a home for nine months for that little boy or girl who we will eventually bring into another home. The one we've made with the dad. 
So when the Apostle Paul says women should be the masters or lords of their homes, he's stating the observable reality of creation. He's looking at women's bodies and going, can't you just see? Yeah, you are a home. You, you are a home. You're made to be a lord of a home. You, you are equipped to do this. Clothe yourself with some strength and dignity and get to it. Yeah. Do not, yeah, don't, don't react to that in a hostile way, like, it, like it's an offensive thing. It's a glorious thing. It's a beautiful thing. I had never really thought about it that way until, until this episode, yeah, well, that our bodies are a home. Thanks, Pope John Paul II. I love that. <laughs> he, that's the teaching that I read to kind of really unpack this reality. Yeah. A man who is celibate, by the way, mm-hmm. has some of the best teaching on sex and gender <laughs> and marriage. It's, it is phenomenally beautiful, um, the teaching that he did the first two years of his papacy. Every, every week for two years, he taught on this topic. Well, there you go, ladies. And it's, Look at that. It, it's been so helpful to me. So, you know, our Catholic sisters out there who are I listening, know. like if you want to give us a little shout out and elaborate, <laughs> if you've got more information, we're here for it. And then as I was thinking about this, all this information, I thought about the TV show Alone. Now, have you watched this, Bonnie? No, I know what it is, though. Okay, so the kids, uh, when they were like um, upper high school and college, we would watch this together with them. So if you've watched the TV show alone, you'll see this reality of home played out in another way. So for those of you who haven't watched it, it's an American survival competition series on the History Channel. And it follows the self-documented daily struggles of 10 individuals, or I think they did teams in one season, as they survive alone in the wilderness for as long as possible using a limited amount of equipment. I think they can bring like 10 things okay. with them. So with the exception of medical check-ins, the participants are isolated from each other and all other humans and they can tap out at any time or they can be forcibly removed if they fail a metal medical check, like if they're wasting away and starving to death. <laughs> so the contestant who remains the longest wins like half a million. I think now it's up to a million dollars, but it's so interesting to me to watch the men versus the women on this competition. Uh-huh. Because why? What happens? <laughs> I can already tell you and I haven't even seen the show. Yeah. You know, guys are going to go for the, you know, the outside, the structure. Uh, are they going to have comfortable things in there? Maybe. Maybe. But the women are going to make it a little nicer. Yeah. The men are very utilitarian. They, they also have 25% more um, muscle mass than women on average. So they are able to fell the trees a lot more sure. quickly and efficiently. I looked up in anticipation of this episode. I looked up all the best structures just based on like Outdoor Magazine uh-huh. or Camper's World. You know, these people are all really interested. And it was men and women. Okay. We both had the best structures of all time, but they were very different. Um, in particular, I remember one woman who was like an herbalist, and it was it her her home was just phenomenal. So we'll just state again: Proverbs fourteen one states, "The wise woman builds her house." And uh, men were focused on function, and women seemed to integrate the function, but also form. Beautiful art is form and function, right? The Danish are amazing at oh, this, right. you know, form and function. So Outside Magazine actually highlighted Callie North of Washington State, and one of her first projects was to construct a reclining chair out of bamboo that they said would look at home in a Williams-Sonoma catalog. (laughs) (laughs) That is not my skill. I don't know what I would come up with, just a pile of brush or maybe some cut grass or something. I, I can't see myself fashioning a chair, but... Well, and then not only that, she spent the next several weeks building a shelter that still ranks as one of the best in the nine seasons. She had a rock hearth. She had bamboo walls. 
and plenty of accoutrements. I love that. For um, her comfort. It really does something to your mental health. You know, when, when her motivation began to wane, she built a sauna <laughs> to warm herself, complete with a cushy walk, walkway to and from her shelter made from soft moss. So I'm just saying, ladies, like we've got a knack for making places welcoming. Our bodies give us that indication. Mm-hmm. Like we are a welcome place yeah. for people to grow to find rest, all the things you listed in our list of things that home is about. Creativity, beauty, refuge, peace. I love that. Love all of it. So embrace it. Just embrace the reality. Don't live against the grain of reality. Embrace it and find your strength and dignity and power. And and go do it. Yeah, rock that. Do not denigrate yourself (laughs) or talk down to yourself because that's all you're doing. For goodness sake, if that's all you did, that would be amazing. I mean, God is the original homemaker. It's not a... You know, he made this world for us. He made that garden for us. So, you know, yeah, we reflect him. Let's do it well. Let's do it in a beautiful way. I'm so excited for the series. I think Um, there's so much to add. Me too. It's going to be great. Home economics, I'm here for it. (laughs) (laughs) So resources, websites, and things we've mentioned will be available on justaskyourmom.com, our website. And you can always connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. We push out our episodes every week with little ads on there. Sure. We'd love for you to rate uh, rate and review the podcast. Share us with your friends and family if you have an episode that you particularly like. Send us your topic suggestions to justaskyourmompodcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time on Just Just Ask Ask Your Mom. Mom.